0: And welcome to a special Insights in Focus podcast, looking at what the future holds for the government's flagship levelling up policy, especially now that the country will have a new Prime Minister in a matter of weeks. What does the future of the policy and the direction of travel, and indeed the long-standing regional economic disparities levelling up is meant to reverse, mean for business and for chartered accountants? My name is Ian Wright. I'm Managing Director for Reputation and Influence at ICAEW. And I'm delighted to be joined by an experienced and insightful panel to discuss these issues surrounding levelling up. Majid Neki is Head of Policy at the Leveling Up Task Force at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities. He's the civil servant helping to shape and drive forward this initiative in Whitehall. His expertise focuses on decentralisation and devolution of power across England, as well as local economies and economic regeneration and development. Jill Morris is founder and chief executive of Devo Connect, the first public affairs agency of its kind in this country to focus on policy-based devolution. Jill is enormously well-known and respected in Parliament and around Westminster and indeed around the regions, having had over 30 years experience working in and around the House of Commons, working with John Prescott on devolution, or the the iteration of devolution, with regional development agencies in the 1990s. And I'm really pleased that Sarah Longlands is here. Sarah is Chief Executive of the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, a Manchester-based charity, looking at how local economies can be revitalized and ensure that local people benefit. The centre has pioneered the concept of community wealth building, Sarah started her career in local government, working in County Durham, a place I know well, and North Yorkshire. She was also director of IPPR North, the dedicated think tank for the north of England, before rejoining CLES last year. Welcome to you all, I'm really pleased that you're here. Majid, can I start with you, just to provide a definition and a context in terms of levelling up. It strikes me that the levelling up phrase is a bit like industrial strategy. It can mean anything you want it to mean. So what is levelling up? What is this entailing? And what's the specific problem government is trying to solve? We
1: were really conscious of this exact question when we were putting together the levelling up uh, white paper. And so um, the, the... first section of the white paper is at pains to define and diagnose that problem and to try and um, try and set out what the, um, what the approaches might be. So broadly speaking, I think levelling up is about the fact that where you grow up in this country, where you live, um, affects how you get on in life. So that's true on a number of uh, factors. So economically, you have massive disparities in things like pay and productivity and things like uh, skill levels and qualifications. Socially, you have massive disparities in health outcomes, in social capital. Um, And you also have disparities in things that are more intangible, like people's well-being and the pride they take in their place, how they feel about where they live. So there are a number of these disparities. They're long-standing, and in many cases, they're correlated. So if um, if a place is deficient in any one of these areas, the likelihood is that it may well be deficient in others as well and you get a, a, a vicious circle where these things feed into each other. So we've defined levelling up as uh, um, um, reversing or, or um, moving towards at least reversing those unfairnesses. So a very broad agenda but focused around four pillars. So the first is broadly economic, around productivity, petty and the competitiveness, competitiveness of uh, our cities. The second is around public services and spreading opportunity, particularly where it's uh, where it's weakest. The third is around uh, pride in place and engendering that pride in place, supporting local areas to have that pride in place. And the fourth is around empowering local leaders. So with all of these pillars, we've defined them in terms of we will particularly focus our efforts where these things are lacking. So redressing those disparities across the country. So it is an incredibly broad and incredibly ambitious agenda. But I think what we've done in the White Paper is to set out actually how all these factors come into play and how all these factors are interlinked. And in order to address these spatial disparities, you really need to take a holistic view of policy and look at how it actually interacts in places.
0: Sarah, when you're trying to devise policies and initiatives that actually help people on the ground, what Majid said, does that all ring true? Does that work? Uh, and are you a supporter? of what's in that levelling up white paper.
2: I think one of the things that, that we really liked about the levelling up white paper was the fact that it acknowledges that we have a problem in this country. that, that prosperity is too focused on on particular areas and particular geographies, that we need to do more to to really spread the benefits of that wealth to to more people. And we also welcome the acknowledgement that public services are part of a a healthy and effective economy. So I think that that's certainly something that we welcome. And and it's really good to see that acknowledgement from the UK government at Westminster that that is an issue. I think the, the challenges and how you start to deliver it and on how you actually start to make good on some of the the very bold promises within this document, and how you do that with an effective system of devolution and an effective system of of local government. And we know that that local government is under huge pressure at the minute because of the the cost of living crisis and because of the the constraints in terms of funding that we've seen over the last 10 years as a result of austerity. Uh, And it's how do you actually start to, you you can't level up from the center. You need to work with partners on the ground, local government, um, the, the public sector more broadly but also with with the private sector and that part of the the levelling up question has not yet been answered
0: and Jill I want, I'd like you to touch upon what Sarah's just been mentioning there and really get real you know so levelling up might be well known in the corridors of Westminster and Whitehall but you're having to deal with clients with stakeholders is it understood is it meaningful or are you spending time going actually this is what it means, if, you know, you could have a client thinking about investment, job creation. Do they not understand? Is levelling up not cutting through? I think it is cutting through, but I think the
3: problem with it is that people don't understand what levelling up means. And it's it's interesting to hear both of you because yeah, I agree with you. I think we just, I think we all know what we think it is, and people I talk to say, well, does it mean this? No. Will it deliver that? Um, and I think. The problem with this paper is that it's actually got a lot of good stuff in it. And I'm really pleased <laughs> that it's there, um, certainly from a Conservative government, um, because we know it's needed. What I know is across the North and across the country, people feel left behind. So therefore, there's a big appetite for people and mayors and, and political and business leaders who want that levelling up to happen and they have their own definition of what that might be. So they're setting the agenda. People like Andy Burnham will say, right, well, I know what we need. The UK 2070 Commission, uh, you know, the inter and intra-regional disparities, we know that we wouldn't have levelling up and we wouldn't, you know, post brexit you know, the left behind, or the feeling that people were not being listened to um, and was um, amplified so, well I think during the pandemic that people wanted a voice so I think they know that levelling up is about voice and representation and it did a lot of good I think for certainly for um, for Randy Burnham for people to say you know I'm speaking for you and that's ultimately why it's a good thing because you will get that voice and the collaboration so I I think it's a point of definition is a problem to say i've heard it sarah you'll have heard it millions of times over the last i don't know it's not that long since it's come out but you know the um the last few months the you know well what well what is it well what does it do you know does it mean this does it mean that and then there's a big discussion about what it is so i think people like uh the metro mayors and uh political leaders have to go go back to the center and say this is what it means for us and i think you know, what Michael Gove, your former boss, would have been saying, the reason we went for trailblazer status in Greater Manchester and the West Midlands is because it's sort of working. All the potential for levelling up to work could work there and it's a tick before the election. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's roll back a bit.
0: Let's talk about the scale of the problem. Majid. I think you've mentioned the phrase, you know, it's broad and ambitious. And let's not pretend this started as a result of Brexit as a result of the pandemic. This has been going on for an awfully long time. So how do we compare to other nations? You know, is the regional disparity in England and the UK wider than, say, France and Germany? And are there particularly bad elements? Sarah, you must be dealing with this, looking at the analysis. How bad are we in terms of those disparities in the UK?
2: Well, some of the analysis um, produced by organisations like IPPR North have shown that when you compare the UK with other OECD countries, we're amongst the worst uh, in terms of regional inequality. I guess, what, how does that play out in practice? Well, between regions, it means that if you live in the North or the West Midlands, you're much more likely to, to, to have poor health earlier in your life. You're much more likely to have um, a, a, a no or, or very few qualifications and skills. And you're also much more likely to die younger. And actually, life expectancy in parts of, of the north is actually falling at the minute. And I mean, that's a really damning indictment on, on a country like ours, which is really wealthy and which has a good level of, of public services, you know, the fact that people are actually dying younger. So I think it's it, it's, it's quite a, a, you know, a serious challenge when we compare ourselves to our peer. And I think the pandemic really revealed those inequalities in, in technicolour. Um, the fact that if you were growing up in a, in a deprived area, if you were... Um, on, on a lower income than than your, than other people living in your area, much more likely to contract and, and die from from uh, COVID nineteen. So I think COVID nineteen was a real kind of was really revelatory in showing that our economic model and the way that we try to level up hasn't been working well to date.
0: Jill, can I push you on the problems and the differences between, say, inter-regional inequalities and intra? I mean, let's put it crudely: is levelling up just about London and the South-East against the rest of the country? Or is it, you know, take the North-East, you know, Newcastle as opposed to, say, Middlesbrough, Mm -hmm. Manchester, that you know very well, is it? Manchester versus Rochdale and Oldham. Is it that? What is the nature of inequality and disparities there?
3: Yeah, I mean, they are there, and I think one of the things that has worked against is this idea that there's a North and a South divide. And I think one of the things that's moved on from the decades-old debate about (laughs) uh, people being poor or rich or life chances and which has been recurrent um, and it's been taken many, many forms that we all know to to do, whether it's um, big society, localism, levelling up, whatever. Yeah, it is about, it's not, I think one of the big things, even in London, you can live even across the street or a couple of yards away and there'll be pockets of disparities and I think one of the things that UK 2070 uh, Commission really highlighted was it's not about north south and the rhetoric has changed. I think Andy doesn't go on as much as he used to do in Manchester about we want what London's got because maybe we don't want what London's got because it's not the same geography. In the northeast. the reason probably devolution hasn't worked or hasn't been Uh, you know, as successful is because of geography and politics and it doesn't quite work because people have a regional identity or a a feeling that they're not part of this geography or they have a, there's a distinct problem. Uh, You know, in your old constituency and the current, um, I'm trying to get a northeast all-party parliamentary group to really voice um, in Parliament, that there are, they're being left behind on HS2 East and uh, obviously one of the poorer
0: areas across the North. I've got to say, <laughs> reading, and I have read this several times, the first half, the analysis of the problem, is is genuinely interesting and insightful. The, it's, it's really good to read. But could you just, like, sort of summarise what we've been talking about? You know, as I said, this is not a five-year thing, this is not a ten-year thing. We've had decline, uh, you know, in blunt terms, from the north to the rest of the country, for the best part of a century. So this can't be overturned quickly. Could you just summarise what, what the White Paper says in respect of the scale of the problem? Yes,
1: so the breadth of the problem we've already touched on, the fact that it's economic, it's social, yeah. it's educational, it's health. Um, so, you know, to pick up on that point on the health um, inequalities, um, so people in, um, in Blackpool have shorter lives than people in Wokingham, but they also will spend about twice twice the amount uh, of that, that lifespan yeah. in ill health as yeah. well. So it's not just about the lifespan yeah. itself, but also about the, uh, the quality of that life. So um, there are some really stark um, statistics which we draw out in the white paper, and it's often the case that they, uh, they uh, come together in areas. We also make the point, as you've rightly said, that this is not something that's arisen overnight. It's something that um, has been going on, and uh, these gaps have existed in whatever form for around a century. Um, and therefore it's not going to be something that's resolved overnight. And so we were really keen to do a couple of things here. Firstly, set out the problem and diagnose it, as we've talked about. Secondly, um, set ourselves some long-term policy objectives so that we could have that stability and that uh, government, local government, civil society, the private sector could have that stability to work together towards those common goals. So that's how we got to the 12 missions. And we also wanted to set out a programme around system change in how government actually works and how government thinks about places. So this is the bit that's possibly less visible to the public, but a super important part of the programme for us, trying to get government to think in a place-based way about, rather than national top-down policy, how is this going to affect this particular place? How can we tailor it for this particular place? How can we tilt spending? How can we flex what we're doing in order to make it work for every part of the UK?
0: Let's bring this up to date we're recording this podcast middle of july prime minister resigned less than a week ago i think it was a week ago. you know a week is a long time in politics conservative conservative has embarked upon um, a leadership contest that's going to span the summer but we'll get a new prime minister new government by the 5th of september leveling up was the flagship Of Boris Johnson's administration. He'd said on numerous occasions, you know, it was the most pressing domestic policy of his government. You might tell me I'm wrong on this, but I haven't heard any of the Conservative Party leadership contenders talk about levelling up. Majid, I I don't want you, you're a civil servant, I don't want you to get into the political field (laughs) too much, but let's be honest about this. Leveling up's dead, isn't it? It's going to die with Boris Johnson's administration.
1: So... As you say, I'm a civil servant. We serve the government of the day, um, so there's certain lines. But I, I don't agree. I don't think it. I don't think it is dead. I, look at, um, look at the reshuffle, and look at um, the fact that Greg Clark is now in charge of the department. One of the originators of the devolution agenda, he's been passionate about and has worked on this agenda for a long time, achieved a great deal in this field. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think you would put somebody like him in charge of the, the department for however long it turns out to be if, if, if the government was not um, serious about continuing with uh, levelling up. I think the analysis we've set out, the diagnosis of the problem is um, very difficult to argue with. It's going to be a priority uh, under a government of uh, whatever stripe. I think uh, once the new leader of the party and the prime minister is settled, uh, they are still um, they are still bound to deliver the manifesto in which the Conservatives stood in 2019, in which Leveling Up featured very prominently. So I think there's a combination of factors here that mean that Leveling Up is not going anywhere. There might be tweaks, there might be shifts, um, inevitably, but I don't think it's going anywhere.
0: Sarah, do you agree with this? Because it does seem to me that you know it was pushed by the prime minister, but a different prime minister will have different priorities. Leveling Up's died now, hasn't it?
2: Well. You know, you could argue that it, it you know, it, it was only really just getting started um, so that it maybe, you know, had a, had a while ago, to go before it was really a, a live policy agenda. And, and certainly it was always an electoral strategy. It was never, you know, until we got this, it was very paper thin in terms of what it actually was and what the agenda actually involved. Um, so, I mean, I, I've, you know, I, I share your, your scepticism. I think it's been very damning, the fact that very few candidates have ref, even referenced it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I do fear for, for its future. Having said that, there is £11 billion worth of funding out there, which has been, you know, ear, earmarked up with a, a levelling up badge, if you like, um, and that the process for, for applying for that funding is underway at the minute, so I guess there's a it, it might there is a question it might limp on in terms of that, that funding and how that funding is then allocated. Although, having said that, there have been a lot of issues with actually the, the allocation of that funding and, and a lot of technical um, challenges and just trying to... to do the application process. And of course, levelling up also includes the UK Shared Prosperity Fund, which is a, a replacement for the European structural funds that we had. So in that sense, if levelling up did die, then what would happen to that UK Shared Prosperity Fund? Because that's absolutely crucial in terms of trying to, to level up areas that have you know, been left behind or, or kept behind maybe for, for a number of years now.
0: Jill, again, I'm going back to you. You're advising clients, you're advising people who might want to put money into the regions. And you were providing a robust defence about that whole levelling up term, the tagline. But is it the case, you know, it's 10 minutes ago since we had Northern Powerhouse. We've had a plan for growth that seemed to go nowhere. We had industrial strategy. Leveling up is just going to be consigned to the dustbin of policy agendas, isn't it? Do you think it's dead along with the, the current administration?
3: No, because I think if we, the term levelling up might die, but the actual principle of what needs to be done won't. And it's been, as I say, it's been called other things. Boris promised an awful lot um, for good reason, i.e., he's got an 80 seat majority, had to deliver. We're in very difficult times. I think the problem hasn't gone away, it's a little a rose by any other name, really. Levelling up, as we discussed earlier, needs to be done Um, it hasn't been done we have a piece of legislation that is on that how we what I'm saying to client is use this window of opportunity at the moment to influence and shape what good leveling up would look like whatever it is it needs to be done because we know the regional disparities are there we know the health inequalities are there it needs to be done and any government and why not it's a vote winner, literally. We know it's a vote winner because Ben Alchin up in Cheese Valley is saying, look, I've got this, I've got that. You know, the people are feeling a bit more prosperous.
2: Just, I mean, I think on that, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the kind of regional disparities and the, and the social uh, and um, health inequalities and everything. But I think it's also a really important point for, for your members, too, in terms of this regional inequality isn't just bad from a social justice point of view it's bad from in terms of a place to do business because if you're you know if if your members are 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 working with businesses who aren't able to get the people who have the skills who have the education who have the qualifications who have got the opportunities um who've got you know the the right you've got a decent level of health um uh, if they haven't got access to to transport for to markets and to to education and, and uh university then that is not just a a social problem, it's a really deep economic problem that will set places back for for years to come.
0: Majid, I'm going to come to you. This is a a problem that has really plagued government for decades. And it's not necessarily about levelling up. It's not even necessarily about regional policy. You know, as we've established, this is meant to turn around decades of variable economic performance around the country long-standing economic challenges. Actually, it's not even economic challenges. We've heard about health outcomes and social and cultural issues. To do that properly and successfully, you need a policy initiative that lasts 30 years. I think you said, you know, long-term policies. But that's not gonna happen, is it? You know, we've seen about how fast government changes policy, government provides new initiatives. Businesses want certainty continuity. Can I plan and invest over a 10 or 20 year period? But governments are thinking short term, can I win the next general election? Can I win the next battle in terms of the media 24 hour cycle? That misalignment between what business needs, the business cycle, and what politicians need, the political and parliamentary cycle, you're not going to reconcile that, are you? So by its nature, the policy fails. How do we address that?
1: So I think you're right to identify that as a long-standing issue. People are working on different timescales in terms of politics, in terms of investment. That is absolutely fair. I think one of the refreshing things about the levelling up white paper is that we acknowledged pretty head-on some of the mistakes of the past, including the recent past. And chief among those was the kind of chopping and changing of policy. Um, so, both in terms of the kinds of institutional framework that you have for delivering local growth, which as we know has uh, undergone a number of changes in recent, in recent years, um, but also just in terms of the, as you've said, the, 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 um, the banner under which policy is kind of uh, brought together. So, we acknowledge that and we're have done we doing a couple of things to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, the first is around the 12 missions, we've set a tw- deliberately set a 2030 time horizon for those. That takes us beyond the uh, beyond the next election, beyond the next spending review, and so departments and uh, governments is going to have to take a, a little bit of a leap of faith there and say, actually, if we want to hit these missions by 2030, we're going to have to look beyond the immediate the immediate cycle. So that's that. In the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, we are placing um, the government under a statutory obligation to report on progress annually against those 12 missions. That. Um, you know, as, you know, subject to whatever happens with the passage of that legislation in Parliament. Once that becomes law, that is then the law. A future government would have to adhere to it or repeal it. So that is then on the books. That is then the law. Mm. There will be an expectation in Parliament, amongst the public, um, amongst organisations like, like like Sarah's, um, like yours, that 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 progress update will be there. And if it isn't, people will want to know why. And if there isn't sufficient progress in there, people will challenge that and they'll scrutinise that. And that's right. And then the other thing I think um, that this paper does and the, what we're trying to do is it's not just about the policy themes. And, you know, we need to improve transport. We've talked about tilting R&D funding out of, um, out of London and the southeast. All of that stuff that we've put in there. It's also about the systems and the processes and the institutions that you have. So for example, we've set out a long-term commitment to um, simplifying the funding landscape because there's, there's far too many different pots. It's absolutely maddening to local authorities. Um, our previous Secretary of State was incredibly strong on this. We're gonna be setting out a more detailed plan on how we're gonna simplify that landscape. So that's a, kind of, that's a process change. That's an institutional change that will endure. You have devolution, mission for every place that wants one to have a devolution deal by 2030. Mm-hmm. And we can argue about you know framework versus deal, um type of uh type of approaches, or you know whether the framework in there goes far enough, and all the rest of it, but the point remains that we will be setting up and supporting areas to set up new institutions, which are then obviously they have their own political cycles, but they are beyond the whitehall the Westminster political cycle, so I think some of the institutional and systems reforms, as Andy Haldanes referred to them, are incredibly important in giving this agenda um longevity so missions legislative um requirement to report annually and systems change. I think it remains an issue, it remains a risk, but we've acknowledged it, we've addressed it head on, and we've tried to make sure that it doesn't happen to this agenda.
0: Jill, you've been at the heart of the political cycle and you've been at the heart of the business cycle. You know, Majid sets out a really strong case about simplifying the funding structure because businesses don't have the time to look at this. They might employ people like us, chartered accountants, to navigate, but they're running their own businesses. They're sorting out supply chain and skills issues. Mm Despite what's been said, a minister will still want to say, I want to announce something tomorrow Mm -hmm. to get on the Today programme and look like I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get that away. How do you deal with this? I think one
3: of the big things that just picking up on both of your questions is the, is the, the businesses is the element of risk. And there's so much risk whether you are trying to uh, reach net zero targets or trying to decarbonize and do other things. People are, are sort of saying, Well, I'm not sure I'm, I can get that inward in, or that investment, I don't want to take that risk. That's certainty when it comes to local authorities and local government. Similarly, they're sort of saying the money's not there, it's a mess. I agree with you, <laughs> absolutely. It's complex. You talked about the Share Prosperity Fund. We know the money hasn't necessarily gone to the right places. And then we go back to that electoral sort of view, your short-term uh, jam today, which I can see whether it's the integrated rail plan or where the pots of money are going, it's political. And whilst the principle is good, it's a minefield for if you're running a business. People need uh, your members and others to be advising them and saying, yeah, you can take the risk. But at the same time, if you can't build a business because you can't get from A to B because your transport connections are absolutely terrible, we need that investment and certainty. We need growth. We need investment in skills. The metro mayors need powers, real powers. And they, within that, they need to be given accountability and I think that's what's missing in here. We need, uh, you know, let them get on with it. That's the point I think, uh, you know, is they have power. They have a mandate. They need, they need the investment. Let them get on with it
0: and level up. I think, Jill, you've, you've got to the heart of it. And we're really getting into to the meat of the issue now. Sarah, you've mentioned £11 billion of funding, shared prosperity fund. But regardless whether this policy survives or not, there is an urgent need to address these long-standing imbalances. Jill started to mention stuff, you know, I can't do business unless I can travel. Now, it could be a road, it could be a rail network. Why can't I get from point A to point B? Why can't I have the skills that I need for my businesses to thrive? Cut to the chase, move away from the policy. Sarah, what do you think really needs to be done to level up properly and successfully?
2: Well, I think what we need is a a shift in, in our economic model. We need wealth to work harder for people and places. We need wealth to actually connect to people's lives because all of us will know of places in the UK and beyond where you've got investment coming in, you've got new wealth being developed, and yet that doesn't touch the sides in terms of the issues and challenges at that, that place faces why is that happening and it's happening because people don't feel part of that that yeah. project they don't have the skills to connect they don't have the the ownership of, of the assets and and the um, and the services that that they're trying to to, to be part of um, and I think there's a fundamental need to, to re-examine that and I think the the you know, coming back to that question previously, how you get that longevity is by devolution, as, as Jill was saying, um, to to the combined uh, authorities, but also to local authorities, because Westminster can't level up. You can't level up from Westminster. You've no. got to you've got to give permission, you've got to give resources and powers to local authorities, to combined authorities, um, to the to the devolved governments in in Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, because they know their context best and, and they know how to, to level up for, for for their own communities. And you've got to trust them to, to get on with the job and and stop trying. Micromanager, you know, from Whitehall.
0: You've all mentioned structure, institutions, you've mentioned personnel. Stick on personnel. What's the role of chartered accountants in all of this? Because they're across the country, not just concentrated in London and the South East. They can be beacons of light of entrepreneurialism and advice and helping to grow a business. You know, so you've got chartered accountants running businesses, thinking about investment decisions. What do I do? Where do I really locate? Do I have to think about transport, about skills? And then you've got members in practice, you know, advising businesses about how best to adapt to the modern world. So Majid, when you were writing the levelling up, in terms of the professional and business services, mm. and I think chartered accountants are you know, these trusted business advisors, what do you think is the role of the profession in levelling up? It's
1: a really good question. Um, I think um, one of the differences uh, between levelling up and perhaps industrial strategy, as you alluded to earlier, is that um, while that was very much a, a sector-based approach, this is very much a place-based approach. So looking at how all those all those different capitals, social, financial, um, physical, um, human, and how those can come together in a place in order to make that place fire on all cylinders. So... Having said that, though, I think given the breadth, uh, the spread of um, um, the profession across the country um, and the variety of the work that they do, uh, your members, I think they absolutely have a lot to offer in that national debate and the, at the national level, the insights that you can draw on um, around how business is feeling, where the, where the, where the barriers are to investment um, is invaluable in trying to inform government policy. And I know that um, the ICAW does, does a lot of that and does a great job at that. I think probably for individual um, members and individual businesses, the key thing will be at the place level. It will be about engaging with local leaders, as many of them will already be doing. and being able to form those uh, those partnerships to um work together on things like skills work together on things like regeneration um i think that that is going to be the uh, the kind of uh, focal point and as i say the spread of members and the spread of the work that they do across the country stands um, stands at you guys in really good stead to do that
0: so would chartered accountants be on your radar you were talking about you know disengagement with the economy with people communities owning and feeling part of it where does chartered accountancy fit into that
2: I think it definitely does, I think, is a short answer. And I think specifically in how, in, in the sort of new types of, of economic um, instruments and models that are starting to emerge. For example, we've done a lot of work in Wales um, looking at employee ownership and chartered accountants um, who are working with businesses who are perhaps. Uh, with with owners who are about to retire uh, or you know have gone, got into difficulties, stuff like employee ownership can be a really important route out of that. And I think chartered accountants are, are part of that that question. But also, in, in some of the local authorities now are looking at municipal finance schemes um, and and how they can actually be part of the investment um, family in, in an area and how they can use their own kind of reserves and, and financial clout to, to really bring and, and support businesses in that area. And, and I think chartered accountants need to be part of that conversation and to bring their expertise and to bring their knowledge of of risk and um and how capital finance flows in an area so I think there's a you know I think I would I guess say to chartered accounts who are interested in this you know what are you doing in your own area to kind of engage in the conversation to to be part of that that discussion because if there are issues around skills or issues around business then you know be at the table and be part of the debate.
0: Would you agree with us Jill have we got a strong role to play as a profession? we got a
2: really vital role role to play I'm just thinking it really
3: really thinking as you were talking about the you know, the whole cost of living crisis, for example. People are looking at their pensions, so people are looking at their, when they're going to retire. They think, can they afford? Their personal risk is there, there's that level. And then you've got the business risk that we've talked about. They are there, and then you've got the government saying, we want you to deliver. We want you to get this productivity going. We need to get back on our feet. We need to say that uh, things are moving again. We've got huge problems in the supply chain. Um, and the delivery piece promises it's gonna be really tough so what you need there is sound advice people to say this is the direction of travel Uh, the government uh, whether it's personnel or not the point of all of this is around money and making sure we get the investment and uh, you know making sure you can have policy till the cows come home, but unless you've got the money, money moving in the right direction, it doesn't mount up to a head of beans.
0: I'll ask all of you, is all of this about the economy, about money, you know, going back a, a few years, it's the economy, stupid, or is there something more? So is it a case of, you know, you can prettify a high street, but if no one's got any disposable income, there are not going to be any shops there. It's chicken and egg stuff. You know, do you need to get the money into these places and then it will develop, grow and thrive? Or do you do something with the cultural social aspects, so people want to live there and they will bring money and they will spend money in the local economy? What comes first, Majid? The economy or society? You need to do it all at once.
1: There's no, other, there's no other way. There's no silver bullet. You need to do it all at once. I think the, the paper makes, the analysis in the paper um, makes this clear. You need those six capitals to be firing on all cylinders for a place to thrive. Our previous Secretary of State talked about levelling up in terms of an economic, social and moral mission. I think that, um, that stands.
0: I mean, Manchester area, you're both familiar with the, the Greater Manchester area, you know, really good in terms of Did they put the groundwork in place and then people came, you know, the economy followed rather than the other way around? Is that a fair summary?
2: If we're going to talk about Manchester, there might be a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, that, that question about, I, I think there's a, you know, if you go back to the days of Adam Smith, you know, the, the founder of, of our modern economics, if you like, he always argued that economics was as much about the social as it was about the money. And it was about tackling issues like poverty and that it was a moral mission. Um, so I think we've got to be inspired by, by that and remember that, because sometimes that gets lost. We get, we get sucked into that. oh, it's just about GDP, it's just about growth. But I actually, it's about, it for me, it's about local economies. And the question for local economies is, where is the money going and who is benefiting? And those are the questions I think that need to frame the discussion about you know, what a future success will look like.
0: Jill, what's your view on all this?
2: You've got to get the economy working,
3: you've got to get the country working, I think you've got to get the um, people who are not working. Uh, it's the whole thing around spending, which you'll- talking about but the word I really think that's missing and we've missed a little bit today is really it's about productivity and do think that you can't get the productivity unless you get the investment in education you can't get the investment in education and we've got we've got a bizarre situation at the moment where there are loads of jobs and nobody doing them um, we need to think about the skills, skills, skills to get that innovation working that goes back into the economy. So it's a circular argument, but it's not one thing. But we've got to get the economy and people working, and I mean personal economies, but and also business economies. It's got to, it's got to work. People have got to be working in uh, and producing and delivering ambitions, but which are in here. And that's my whole thing that if you actually drive the money down into the regions, into those economies and let them get on with them and be accountable to government, I think we'll have a a really wonderful time in 2030.
2: I mean, do, I mean, what I think, you know, that question about economies, because I think sometimes in accountancy, if I can, if I can stereotype, but I think sometimes it's about we just need to get a big lump of money and then we can use that to, to you know, to pay for all the stuff we want. Actually, it, it's about you know it, that 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 model. You see it in here. It talks about we need to grow the pie everywhere for everyone, and it's like it's not good enough just to grow the pie. You have to grow the pie differently because if yeah. you grow the pie. There's going to be loads of people out there who are better able to gobble up more of it than others. So how do you, how do you make sure that you're growing the pie differently in the first place? So you're giving people ownership of the economy uh, and you're building with, with what you have, building on the assets, on the strengths, on, on, you know, on, the, on the six capitals, if you like, from within areas. And I think that, that's the key for me.
0: We're running out of time. So I want, for a really complex question, you know, a quick fire answer. But Jill, Sarah, you started to talk about the future and the vision thing. What... And I suppose I want to finish on, well, what would success look like? We're sat here again doing another podcast in 2030, 2035. What does levelling up successfully delivered look like for the North East, for the whole of the North East? Um, and how will that perhaps be different to, say, Yorkshire and the Humber? Jill, you were starting to be very articulate about what you'd look like in 2030. What, what's your sense about what this would look like?
3: Well, politics is an issue obviously in the northeast, But uh, beyond that, I think I'm uh, very much a glass half full kind of girl when it comes to levelling up and devolution, I think it is possible for us to get that economy working, but we need to make, you have to fight for it. You need a rationalisation of the pots, you need to make it simple, you need to get the inward investment, you need to get the infrastructure, you need to get the jobs and the skills and you get the economy working. That is potentially the first stop. But equally, (laughs) we don't know, but the government have got to get behind it. We cannot have, which we have had over the last few decades, or it depends who's in power. So, you know, Theresa May wasn't so keen on this, this wasn't priority. Leveling up, which is going back right to the first question, is essential. If we really want to grow the economy and get this moving, you need to get rid. Uh, or try and remove the regional and interregional and intra regional disparities, otherwise it would get so my vision for the future is it will work because I'm an optimist, and I would like to see
0: it. <laughs> Sarah, are you an optimist?
2: I am an optimist um and I think I would say three things first you know take someone like not so I think first of all, that people have the it's not that far away but you know people are starting to have the chance to live a good life and that means good skills good health um, and uh, and a reduction things like child poverty which has been rising hugely in, in in the northeast second thing businesses are able to get access to capital and they are able to to set up in the northeast and run successful uh, businesses and, and, and employ people and, and have a uh, and those businesses are, are coming from all different, all different shapes and forms. You might have bit companies, you might have cooperatives, you might have worker-owned businesses, you might have employee ownership, um, and, and all sorts of different flavours of business which are setting up and, and finding they can, they can, they can uh, um, have a, a, a good business and, and, a, and a good financial outlook. And then thirdly, your football clubs are all, all owned by their fans and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and people have got a, a real sense that they're part of the community.
0: Well, that's a whole nother (laughs) podcast. But, Gene, you know, 2035, you're having a levelling up white paper reunion with Michael Gove and Neil O'Brien. And when you were writing this, in your head, what was the team thinking? What's the vision of success and delivery? How will you measure that and how will it look?
1: So tangible, visible improvements across all of the missions. So better transport in local areas, more people undertaking high quality skills, more people literate, um, numerate, um, better health outcomes in the places where they're worst at the moment. So all, all of that, the fundamentals, but topped off, I think, with strong, empowered local leaders and institutions who've got the, uh, the powers and the funding that they need to make these things real in local areas and to partner with government to do that.
0: I think we could go on for a lot longer. <laughs> but we've run out of time. That's it for today. Can I just say many thanks to what it was a really interesting and engaging conversation. So let me thank our guests, Majid, Sarah and Jill. And thanks to you, the audience, for listening to this special episode. If you've enjoyed it, remember to rate, review and share. And of course, subscribe to ICAW Insights wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much.